to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the podcast. I am your host Meg Durham and today we're going to be exploring how our relationship with teaching changes as our life outside the classroom changes. But before we get to that, I'm curious to know, how has the School of Wellbeing podcast impacted your life? We would love to hear from you, what you have learned, what action you are taking, which was the conversation that you had to go back and listen to a second time because it spoke directly to you. The reason why I share this weekly podcast is twofold. The first part is to share wellbeing education that makes sense to help you to take the next step. And the second part is to build a community of big-hearted educators that are ready to rethink and redesign what it means to be a teacher, that are on this path of doing things differently. And so together, the content and the community, we are creating a positive ripple effect within the education system. We know that there is so much change required in education and the only way it's going to happen is that we have big-hearted humans that are energised and thinking clear enough to make it happen. That's the way systems work. Systems are made up of individuals and as the individuals change, slowly the system changes. So this podcast is really about creating a community, building that spark, building that fire and slowly making a difference in our classrooms, in our staff rooms and the wider educational community. And so in celebration of the 100th episode, I would love to share what you're learning, the actions you're taking, the conversations that mattered. So all you need to do is send an email or voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com. On with today's episode. Today, I have the joy of chatting with Lil Daly. Lil is an experienced primary school teacher with a passion for working in low SES, high disadvantage and high need schools. And she feels these students have so much to give and thrives on the strong focus on building relationships. Lil graduated from La Trobe University with a Bachelor of Physical and Health Education, minoring in social work and generalist primary school teaching. She has recently graduated from the University of Melbourne with a Master's of Evidence-Based Teaching. Lil loves looking into the research and really pulling out what is it that makes a difference. Lil is also the founder of the Teacher Collection where you can find ready-to-download tools to strengthen your well-being, connect with your colleagues and build deeper relationships. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of valuing yourself and your changing needs, 
how to redefine our identities as teachers, why experienced teachers have such an impact, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lil Daly. Lil, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for having me, Meg. I am a long-time listener of the School of Wellbeing podcast, and it's really exciting to be on it and to be able to share my journey and um, what teaching means to me and what teaching looks like to me. Today we're going to be talking about how we can value ourselves and our evolving needs as educators. What do you hope teachers will get from listening to this conversation? I hope that teachers understand that teaching can evolve and what teaching means to them can evolve and what teaching is is different to all of us because we're all on different life journeys we're all at different stages of our lives and you know that your relationship with teaching can change whether that's for the better or for the worse but that's okay isn't that beautiful to think our relationship with teaching to really think of it and how it evolves over time, just like our relationship with other areas of our life. Think about movement and exercise. It changes and it shifts. So when did you first realise that wellbeing was an important part of being a teacher? I think for me it was when I started out as a grad. So I live in regional Victoria and I started out in a small little school of 50 kids. So I was the only grade five, six teacher. And it was so fabulous because I had so much freedom over what we did with the kids. You know, when it was time for lambing, so much of our learning was around lambing and the life cycle and Um, Same with cropping and all that sort of stuff because it was a very agricultural-centred community just like a lot of our rural schools are. And it was fabulous because I learnt so much from the kids and the kids gave so much to me. And as part of that being a grad, you know, you just, you want to get into everything, you want to be doing everything, you want to be doing your best at everything. And it wasn't long before I really started to struggle. My whole weekend was about doing the planning for the next week because it was just me and I didn't really know what I was doing. I had some templates from some colleagues and they were so fantastic in supporting me. They were also really under the pump as well. So I was committing all my weekends. I was driving an hour to school, teaching, driving an hour home and Pretty soon, I was very depleted, as you can imagine, and I, I knew that it need something needed to change. This what being a teacher is. It's not my whole life committing to the classroom. I stopped playing netball. I had very little social life because I was so committed to doing my best in the classroom, and I'd really isolated myself. And I knew. that wasn't something that I could continue and that wasn't healthy. And yes, you know, the kids may have had all these great learning experiences, but was it really beneficial that I was so burnt out, I couldn't give them, you know, the best of me. That was when I knew that things needed to change. And I knew that, you know, I have my well-being as a person, but I also need to protect my well-being as a teacher and that I needed to see that Lil the teacher was different to Lil the person, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher, but that's not just my whole identity. And I can see that really clearly now, you know, seven years down the track, but at the time it definitely wasn't as clear as that. I I just knew something needed to change, but 
I didn't really know. I didn't really know what. I didn't really know how. Yeah, it was a little bit messy at the time. Yes, that mess is so familiar to everybody listening that we hold this identity so close of being a teacher. For many of us, it's something that we have dreamed of our whole lives to be in front of a classroom. And that is so exciting. And it's beautiful that you bring up this idea that we are a teacher and we are a human. We are daughters, sisters, brothers. We all have these other roles. And when we give so much time and energy to the teaching part, it can become quite depleting because our life feels like it just fades away. Yeah, it does. And it can be really it can be really isolating. I found it very isolating because I'd see other people, other teachers, and you know, they'd be playing netball or, you know, doing other stuff on the weekend. And I think, how how do they do that? How do they have that time to get out there? And, you know, now with the experience that I know, you know, it comes down to a whole heap of different factors, our values, what we prioritise, all that sort of thing. But when you're in the thick of it, it can be really hard to to realise, you know, what's happening. And I was very fortunate, as I said, in that small rural school, I had some amazing, amazing colleagues and slowly they sort of guided me into I guess helping me recognize, you know, who I was as a person is more important than who I was as a teacher. And, you know, your teacher, being a teacher, that's your career. And, you know, it is, it's vital. It's so important, but so are you as a person. And yeah, it was just through a lot of little conversations with those teachers. And I'm so fortunate to have had that experience because I think that makes me who I am today. All those experiences, the challenges, the successes have really shaped me as a teacher and me as a person today. And highlighting the impact that other teachers have on us when experienced teachers give us permission to have a life, to do things differently, that can give us this whole new level of confidence compared to maybe someone who's in an environment where no one's having a life outside of school and it can have the opposite effect. You're right, that permission and not so much mandating it, oh, we do this, this is how we do it. It was very much a lot of open-ended, a lot of guided discovery now that I, I think about it, the way that particular teachers you know, would guide me out of the classroom at break time when I was doing stuff that, you know, bring me into the staff room and we'd sit down and have a cuppa. And at the time I was thinking, gosh, I have so much to do. Like, can we just make this quick? (laughs) But now I think about that and I think, you know, how powerful they could see this graduate who was drowning and who was really trying to do her best. And they were showing me what was important. And it must be so challenging for a lot of teachers out there who, who don't have that. And where the normal is to continue to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And there's that perception that, you know, if you are not sacrificing, if you are not there all the time, then are you really giving your all? You know, are you really committed to teaching? And and that's really toxic and it's really challenging. And, you know, that that's not what teaching is. So when you look back on it, And that time when you're feeling really depleted, trying to do all the things to the best of your ability, how was that impacting your teaching? 
Um, I started to get a lot of anxiety going into school, like Sunday would roll around and throughout the day I would just get more and more anxious to the point where it got to Sunday night and I was an absolute mess. Like I had headaches, I was so nervous, I couldn't sleep. I was counting down the hours of sleep that I had before I had to get up to school and sometimes I'd get to school or I'd pull over on the road before I got to school and I'd have a cry because I was just so overwhelmed and so stressed and just I knew I had a lot to do but I just didn't know where to start and I guess I tried to sort of push that to the side as soon as I got into the classroom I sort of as soon as I walked through the doorway there I tried to make sure that I was happy for the kids that I was here that I was present and you know for the next couple of hours of the day that I was going to give them the best version of me that I could. And, you know, I think about that now and I think kids are very perceptive and I wonder if that could pick up when, you know, I wasn't at my best or when I was really struggling. And I was very lucky because the kids that I had were absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I did fight really hard to try and hide that so that when I walked into school, you know, I was happy, I was bubbly, I was ready to give it my all. And that is something that I hear time and time again, talking with teachers, that they bring their best to the classroom, to school life, but then it's like this other version goes home. Yeah, and it's like often I'd get home and I'd be so tired I'd have a sleep or I'd sort of fall into a heat, watch some TV, I might go for a walk. Particularly in winter, it was dark, like I'd leave home when it was dark, I'd get home when it was dark. and. That was really hard. And a lot of my relationships really suffered as well because I just, I prioritized teaching so highly. And, you know, there were close friends 21st that I chose not to go to because I did schoolwork instead. And at the time, it felt that felt like the right decision. It felt really important for me to get this done because this was my job now. I'd done four years of uni for this, I'd worked really hard. But now I think back on it and I think, gosh, like I'm a bit embarrassed by that decision. At the time, like I said, I I thought it was the right decision. And now I think, gosh, like I missed so much because of, yeah, the priority that I placed on it. And when you're thinking about that time, what helped you to move towards a new way of being and identifying as a teacher? I guess I looked at the more experienced teachers around me. I watched what they did. I listened to the way that they talked about teaching. And often I used to think, gosh, like they're so relaxed. Like they don't really care. But then now that I think about it, I think, no, that's them creating that barrier. You know, yes, they are there to teach and they're there to do their very best, but they also know that that's not their whole identity. That's not the whole them. And Yeah, it took me a little while to grapple with that because I, the perception that I had of teaching when I finished uni and when I left uni, that was really conflicting with the behaviour that they showed. And that's not to say that every single experienced teacher, you know, has that attitude and that's okay. It was just, it was very different. I hadn't seen that before. I'd been surrounded by people who'd sort of given their all and I thought that was the normal. So to see that challenge that was really interesting because I thought okay there's there's different ways to do things and some further years out from teaching I taught with um a fantastic lady up in Darwin and she was just a phenomenal because 
she really took me under her wing and she could see that, you know, the relationship that I had with teaching was a little bit challenging at that stage. And, you know, she just opened my mind up to creating that identity of me and that when I am at my best, the kids are at their best. You know, I don't have to come in and fake it. I am happy. You know, I am enjoying it. Yes, there are times where I think, oh, I really don't want to go to school today. But that's normal and that's okay. And yeah, it was just so invigorating. And that year that I had with her was just one of the best years of teaching that I've ever had. It was so much fun. It was so enjoyable. And it really, I guess, it tapped into why I wanted to be a teacher, you know, at my core, what were the reasons why I chose to go down that pathway. And um, yeah, she was an amazing person. And so can you tell us some of the things that started to shift and what you were starting to do differently? I guess one of the big things for me was the workload at home. I was really conscious that when I got home, making the decision around what I chose to do, what I chose to do work-wise. So, um, you know, there's particularly with the EBA at the moment, there's a lot of um, discussion around workload and what happens at school and what happens at home. And like I said earlier, I'd been committing so much time. And the big thing for me around those changes was what was I going to do with the workload? So a couple of nights a week, I decided to leave my computer at school. The first time I did that, I was so stressed out. Like I got to school the next day at some ridiculous hour because I hadn't done any work that night. And then slowly I got more comfortable with being uncomfortable about that and committing to activities after school so that I I had to leave. I'd um, go for a walk or have a a gym class at four o'clock or 4.30. So then I had to leave and I felt good. I was getting that endorphin rush. It was something that I was really enjoying. And often I wouldn't want to open my laptop after that. So that was something that was a big shift for me. Also, getting outside was, it sounds really basic. That was a huge change for me. Like often you're in the classroom all day, you come home, you sit at your kitchen table, you sit at your desk. For me, actually getting outside, going for a walk, I guess you could call it it was a, a form of mindfulness, a form of being in the present. That was a real game changer for me. So I guess being outside combined with some sort of movement, um, that really helped me to, I guess, process the events of the day, think about what was happening, but also move on from school. I found it very hard to switch off. You know, even when you leave the classroom, there's stuff always going through your mind. What are you doing the next day? Have you contacted people? Are there any parents that you need to follow up with? But going for that walk, being outside sort of helped me process that and then helped me leave it. So then I could actually continue on the evening doing things that Lil enjoyed, not, you know, following up with school stuff. It's beautiful to think about this space that you've created. When you were first talking, it sounded so intense. You go to school, you go home, it's just on, on, on. And then you've just explained how you've created more space through walking, through having boundaries, through doing things differently. I also love how you articulated how deeply uncomfortable it is when we're starting out doing these things. Like that first time you left the laptop, I can imagine that next morning you're just like busting to get in there. And then you probably realize nothing actually happened. There was no major emergencies, but it's interesting 
that it takes some time for our nervous system to get used to these changes. When you believe something or when you participate in something for so long, it becomes that habit and it just becomes your normal. So for me, taking the laptop home, sitting down, opening it up, that was my normal. That was my routine. So it was, it was really uncomfortable for me to start off changing that routine. Um, there were so many things that I felt uncomfortable with, you know, leaving my laptop at school, getting in the car without my laptop, going home. Okay, what do I do? I've just walked through the door. Usually I sit down and open up my laptop. What am I going to do now? It was there's so much around that that was full of discomfort and uncomfortable. And um, I think there is that common perception that well-being is easy. You know, if you're doing well-being, if you're doing well-being right, is easy. You should be feeling great, you know. And it's there are aspects that should be making you feel good, yes. But also sometimes well-being involves making challenging decisions. You know, sometimes it is tricky. So it's hard to break down some of those habits or change some of those habits. And I think that's important. I, I know that through challenge, we grow. You know, when we're able to do challenging things and when we're able to do tough things, we know that you know, we can rise to that challenge. That gives us confidence. And I don't think well-being is any different. I often say that well-being is a contact sport. It's not a spectator sport, you know, like it's an all-in game. If you want to get results, you've got to be in there. And it is hard. And I love how you highlighted that question that so many teachers come up with when they start to move through this discomfort is, what am I going to do now that I'm not working? Now I've got a little bit of time. How do I re-engage with my life? Because it's so much easier just to open up the laptop. Yeah, it is, Meg. And it's just, like I said, that had become part of me, that had become part of my identity. You know, my mum and dad, they'd call me on the phone and they'd say, what have you been up to? And the first thing I'd tell them was what had been happening in the classroom. And they must have been thinking, oh my gosh, like get a life. And I, I needed to because, you know, those first couple of years, I, I had no identity, Meg. It was me, the teacher, and I could tell you about the amazing learning that was happening. I could tell you about all the kids, which was fabulous. You know, you need to know the kids. That's, I'm not saying that that's not important, but I had no identity. I couldn't tell you what I did on the weekend. You know, I, I couldn't have those conversations because I did nothing. It was very isolating, not knowing you know, what I did for enjoyment. I love to read. And if I opened up a book to read, you know, I'd get a couple of pages in and then I'd be thinking about school. So it took a long time for me to reconnect with myself and find those things that I enjoy. And it is, it's a bit of a bit of a discovery journey, tapping back into those things that you enjoy and giving yourself the space to enjoy them because it is important that you have that space. And it's beautiful to get to these stages in our life where we feel like we have some kind of balance, for lack of a better word, but this idea of like, okay, I am a teacher, I can lean into work, but also I'm a human and I can lean into life knowing that you can go both ways. So you found this balance, this dance within your life, and then you left the classroom to have your first child. Yes. How was your, tra <laughs> how was your transition back into the classroom? So I was very excited to get back into school. The lack of routine, 
the lack of predictability with having a baby absolutely knocked me for six. Like I am a stickler for routine. I love to know what's coming up next. I love to have my day sorted. And this little boy really challenged that. So the day that I went back to school, I was so pumped, probably a little bit too excited. Like I remember walking up the corridor and like literally beaming and people being like, what is her deal? (laughs) She obviously has not been out much. (laughs) That was challenging because I thought that I'd just literally be able to pick back up where I left off. And I got back into the classroom and there were, I feel like there were parts of my brain that wasn't working. I couldn't make all those micro decisions as quickly as I did before. I was exhausted by the end of the day. I just thought like, this is, this is like starting from square one again. And I kept trying to push back and be the little that I was before my little bub came along and kept sort of trying to push back and get to that person. And that was causing a lot of frustration in me. I'd come home agitated and think, why can I not do this? You know, I'm working, I'm trying really hard. I'm what, what's not working. And look, it's, it's taken a bit of a journey, but over the past couple of months, I've been trying to think about how that connects with what I value. And I had really valued my ability to teach before I had Hamish. That was a huge priority for me, the way that I interacted with the kids, the way that I tackled my admin, um, when I tackled that, all that sort of stuff. So that's been a huge shift for me, reevaluating what my my values are because now that I have the little bloke who's one now, I don't want to be coming home and doing those little bits of work. You know, I could if I wanted to. I've got the time there, but I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to spend more time with the family. And same with getting to school early. Before Hamish, I'd get to school like sort of 7.30, 8 o'clock-ish, more often 7.30. But now, you know, I'm choosing to roll in at quarter past 8, 8.20, just because I value that family time. And sometimes that really conflicts with me, the teacher. I think, gosh, I have a fair bit to do. Like if I got to school, you know, that extra half an hour earlier, I'd be able to get heaps done and that would put me ahead and that would you know, to tick off all these boxes. But that's not what I value at the moment. What I value is spending, you know, those moments with Hamish while he's young. And that's been a lot for me to unpack. And again, that's been challenging. There's been parts where I've had to have some flow with that. You know, it's not always one thing's higher priority and one thing's a lower priority. I like to think of well-being as you know, like waves in an ocean, like a flow. There's times when, you know, there's a lot going on and there's times when there's not so much going on. And, you know, there's times where more of my priority will need to be at school because we have learning conversations or, you know, we have things that we're doing. And there's times where I get to really pull back from that and really value home a little bit more. So a lot of that, Meg, has been around me I guess, having a really strong understanding of what my values are and a really strong appreciation of what my values look like in practice and sticking to those in practice, but also accepting that that's not in concrete. You know, there's times when I need to give to other areas and and that's okay. 
it's a beautiful message to remind ourselves that nothing is in concrete to move, to flex, to evolve, and to notice the internal dialogue that's telling us, get there early, do it like this. You used to be able to do it like this. And then gently being with it and then choosing a new way depending on what's important at your stage of life. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of acceptance in it as well. Like it's, you know, I could continue to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but is that going to keep causing me more angst and more stress? And is that going to make home life really challenging? I think that acceptance of the stage of life that you're in at the moment, and like you just touched on, you know, there's there's not that permanence. It's there's things that are always changing. There's parts that are always moving, and this will not be life forever. This is what life is like now. That's okay. Let's lean into it and make it easier and more enjoyable for everybody around us, knowing that this will not last forever. You know, there will be other stages where we'll have to lean in and and change things as well. And also remembering that when we're in this push, push, push mindset where we're constantly striving for more, it's really hard to be present with ourselves and with our students. Like I find myself when I'm in that push mode and when I was onto the next thing mentally, it was hard to just have a laugh, to feel the joy. Yeah, that ability to realise that, okay, at the moment, yes, we have all this learning to do. What do I value? I value the connections. I'm just going to pause this for a sec and have this conversation or, you know, have this joke with this kid. I think, you know, you as a person outside of teaching also comes down to your values within the classroom as well. And I know we can't always do that because the reality is we do have a curriculum to get through. We are very pushed for time. But I think those small pockets where we're able to, I guess, release those pressures, have those laughs, pair things back a little bit, it's fantastic for the kids, but it's also so enjoyable for you. It really, I find in those moments, I'm so strongly connected to my why. And I get a buzz from those moments, you know, for doubt, for hours, or even sometimes days later, like I I reflect back and ruminate and think about that moment. And yeah, it's very, very special. They're those magic moments where you're like, this is what I signed up for, to be in the classroom, to have this joy, to have this deep connection and be human together, not the push, push, push. Yeah, and it, it is it's something that I guess more and more is getting pushed out of teaching, like it's getting the priority is not equal and that's that's challenging to grapple with and it's something that makes me really uncomfortable And I've been reflecting on that discomfort and why I'm feeling that discomfort. And I think it is because it's that conflicts, uh, the way it conflicts with my values. So it's, it makes it challenging, definitely. It's a real tension. I remember when I was learning how to teach body pump before I was a teacher, they taught us that the most important thing is connection, choreography, and then correction. So if you had connection with people in the room, it didn't really matter how good or bad your choreography was, they'll go along with you. If you wanted to correct their technique, 
you had to have the connection first and you had to know what you're doing first and then correct. And I took that into my teaching because I really learned from that beginning of being a robes instructor that we have to have the connection in the room before we can actually gain momentum and then go towards that correction piece. I work in a um, high disability, high disadvantage, high trauma context. So we use a lot of um, trauma-informed practices and that is something that connection before correction is something that I value so highly and it's in the back of my mind every moment of every day. But at the same time, I also feel that curriculum pressure as well. Sometimes I wonder, am I too chilled out? Am I not pushing these kids enough? And it's an interesting internal conflict that I have all the time. And I love that you are so reflective in your practice. What helps you to really have these thoughts, ideas and conversations in your own mind to get this clarity? Oh, Meg, that's tough. I guess, look, I I love to go for a walk and I know people must hear me harp on about this all the time. I just find that when I'm walking or going for a run, I, I think about a lot of stuff and it was really interesting because the Imperfects had an episode recently with Chrissy Swan and she talked about this as well and I thought, oh my gosh, like I might actually be onto something here. This might be a legitimate thing. <laughs> And she talked about the power of walking and if she has a decision to make, often she will walk on it. And that might be one, you know, one day of walking or it might be a week's worth of walking before she makes that decision. But I just find when I go for a walk, I'm very at peace, I'm very calm and I'm able to reflect on things and think about, you know, why I might be feeling that way, why I might be thinking about a certain decision and Often I'll think about what I'm trying to access through different decisions or what I might be trying to avoid through different decisions, just like we do with kids when we're looking at their behavior, you know, what are they accessing? What are they avoiding? And it just helps to give me a well-rounded sort of view on what's going on. And sometimes when I start going for a walk, I'm in a real huff and I'm agitated and I'm tense. And often by the end of it, you know, I've worked through whatever I need to work through and I'm feeling good. I don't know how I've developed that ability to reflect. I guess I like my own company. I'm quite an introvert. I need to often recharge after the teaching week, after being in the classroom and, you know, all that hustle and bustle. And I guess it's just a quality that I've yeah, developed from being in my own company, you know, being comfortable in that space. I never really saw it as a strength or a quality or something that I was good at. But the last sort of 18 months, I keep hearing it again and again from people that I have conversations with. And again, I've taken that on some walks and I've thought about it. And I do have a strength in reflecting and getting a, a perspective on things, definitely. And I've seen that in you and the conversations that we've had and I wish that I had that when I started teaching because it took me so much longer to come up with these lessons, to be able to distinguish myself and the teacher version, like years and years. And I had the most beautiful teacher in my staff room who was 
gently trying to prod me time and time again and I just wasn't there. And I think it is such a gift to be able to reflect, to notice, to connect with our values and then take that deliberate and uncomfortable action. Lil, to wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yes, I am. I am inspired by? I'm inspired by the leadership team that we have at my school. Their door is literally always open and there's times when I think, do you actually get any work done? Like there, I don't think there's been a day this year where there hasn't been a child sitting in there or a family or, a, you know, a member of staff or something happening. It just, there's selfness, selflessness in their leadership and their ability to always be there to support staff. It's just a non-negotiable. They are always there. And it's something that is really inspiring for me. When life feels hard, I get outside, Meg. I go for a walk. I get in the garden. I take out my camera. I feel like there is such healing power and such relaxation in getting outside, going for a walk. That space, I think, just seems to zap out any challenge, any tension, any negativity out of my body and just fills my cup. An underrated skill is? Prioritising. I feel like being able to know what needs to be done now, done later or delegated seems really basic, but it's not. It's really, really hard and it's still something that I'm working on and I'd love to be better at it because in my mind, everything needs to be done now. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to getting into the classroom every day with the kids that I love teaching and just mucking around with them. You know, that in my mind, learning is vital. It comes second. It's those relationships that come first and connecting with the kids and just for seven hours of the day, having fun with those kids. So I know when they leave, they've had a a day in a safe environment um, where they felt loved, where they felt that sense of belonging and where they've learned as well. Lil, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today and thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. The work that you do, Meg, is so vital in advocating for teachers but also giving them a sense of hope, you know, that there is there is a different way to be a teacher and that you've got their back. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Lil and I am so impressed and inspired by her ability to slow things down and focus on what really matters. It really is a superpower working in schools because there is always more to do. So having the ability to slow things down and prioritize on what really matters is such an important skill. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about your needs as a human and as a teacher. And it gives you permission to change, grow and evolve. To learn more about Lil and the teacher collection, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Has the School of Wellbeing podcast had an impact in your life? We would love to hear from you. What you have learned, what action you're taking, which conversation you loved, 
All you need to do is send an email or a voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 96. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action. Mm -hmm.